Church History Matters, episode 47. Brothers and sisters, welcome to another episode of Church History Matters. I'm Joseph Knowles. And I'm Rumor Rosales. Yes, and we're bringing you this episode. Hopefully we'll get it out uh, by July 19th, 2023. So not quite as long of a delay as uh, with our last episode, but we just try to keep at it and plug away while we can. How are things? Um, Goodness gracious, busy. Yeah. Busy and busy yeah it's summer yeah so it's typical right yeah and the topic for today's episode is one that i at least people have kind of requested that was a horrible segue things yeah it was a non-segue yes the anti-segue anti-segue it's kind of been i think it's been a requested topic or at least topics related to it yeah um so this is we figured well if we're going to talk about that we might as well go to the beginning right yeah. Of where that kind of comes down from. Right. So we will get into that shortly. But first, this week in church history. So That week in church history. That week in church history, yeah. So we did say we'll be releasing this one, Lord willing, on the 19th of July, 2023. And we have a birthday. So this guy was born on July 18th. 1504. Any guesses? 1504. Nope. Okay. Yeah, so you're talking Reformation era, right? Who was the guy that came after Calvin? Uh, that was Beza. Beza? So that would be a reasonable guess. Yeah. He did come after somebody. Hmm. So this is the birthday of Heinrich Bullinger. <sighs> um, and he came <laughs> after uh, Ulrich Zwingli. So he's one of the right. Swiss reformers. But he was his birthday is July 18th, 1504. Um, so he's kind of known as the successor of Zwingli there in, in uh, the church in Zurich in Switzerland or in what's now Switzerland. Right. And But he's also known for a number of other things. So he's you know probably not a household name for a lot of people. You know, everybody knows Martin Luther and John Calvin. Um, and maybe more people know Zwingli and a couple of right. others, but his name might be one of those that people are less familiar with. Although, you know, in Switzerland is extremely influential, obviously, as the, the guy who came after Zwingli. But he also helped to co-author both the first and the second Helvetic mm. Confessions, um, which at the time were something of an attempt to get all the reforming Christians on the same page. Right. Say so we can definitely agree on this much stuff. Now, for listeners who, you know, might not be familiar with the different views of the Lord's Supper, uh, Zwingli in particular is uh, kind of known for the... Um, Probably the, one of the more common, right. at least in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Very common position uh, among <clears throat> a, a lot of denominations in the United States, which is the memorialist position. Mm-hmm. Which is to say that um, you know it's kind of the the opposite end of the spectrum from the Catholic Roman Catholic version of transubstantiation, which right. says and we've talked about this before, but that the the blood or the the bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of Christ. Well, he mm-hmm. says he, you know, in our opinion, probably would say, well, he he overcorrects we're, a little bit. We're just doing a reenactment, like a right. civil war reenactment. Yes, it's strictly a memorial. <clears throat> There's nothing. 
there's nothing happening here other than Christians getting together mm-hmm. and uh, drinking some wine or grape juice and eating some bread. Um, Should be wine. Which, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> topic for another day. There's uh, there's room for disagreement there, and I think there's room for disagreement on the memorialist sure. position. Like we don't, we wouldn't say that we hold that, but I've you know right. that's kind of what I grew up in, and that's what right. I know, and I you know. I didn't question it until very recently. That's funny because we were on both opposite ends of the spectrum there. Right. Yeah, yeah. that is funny. Um, however, Heinrich Bullinger was uh, one of the ones who kind of got this the Swiss church away from that. Hmm. So he kind of works with John Calvin okay. um, to arrive at the the spiritual presence position, yeah. which would be what we would, you know, a version mm-hmm. of which we would hold to. We'd say that yep. the bread and the wine stay what they are. Mm-hmm. However, we can say that Jesus is present, really and truly present with his church mm-hmm. when they are observing the Lord's Supper. So uh, Bollinger was instrumental in developing, kind of developing the theology, not developing the theology, but articulating it right. um, at that Reformation era. So he would die in 1575, the age of 71, wow. uh, which is, yeah, a ripe old age for that yeah. era. Like I said before, it's kind of one of those names that is probably not not that well known, but his influence is yeah. probably a lot bigger than than most people know. Uh, but in any event, his birthday was July eighteenth, fifteen oh four, five hundred and nineteen years ago. This week in church history, I was trying to do math in my head. At, at, yeah, right on the spot. It's I funny. think that's it's, right. It's uh, that's about. Let's see. Our pastor turns what fifty this year, this weekend. That's why I'm going to send him a a a birthday card that says "Happy 50th." <clears throat> Just because he likes to yes. we like to tease each other about age. Good Alrighty. Um, so there you have it. So that was 1500s, 1504 to 1575. Yes. And uh, we're going to take a step back. Yeah, a slight step back. Yeah. <laughs> So what was the requested uh, topic of discussion right. that we had heard? We've gotten a number related to the Eastern Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. And if you know a little bit of church history, you might have this, and we probably mentioned it on here before, oh, yeah. The, yeah. the great what's come to be known as the Great Schism mm-hmm. of 1054, which is the you know formal and at least up to this point final separation Right. Between the uh, the Latin Church and the Eastern Church mm-hmm. as institutions. Yep. Um, so obviously that was a very significant development in church history, and there's, uh, I'm sure, more, way more than we can, you know, try to cram into uh, one episode. Uh, but we will do our best to we'll hit the highlights. At least, yeah, we'll give give you a good overview, and uh, hopefully you learn uh, something you didn't know before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is probably um, well, the Ethiopian Orthodox or Oriental Orthodox um, mm. would argue that this is not the first church split, right? But I think it's one that mainline mm-hmm. Christianity would observe as the first church split that occurred, right? Um, and it didn't, it didn't, it was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. And there were a lot of geopolitical factors involved. As right. there always are. Correct. Unlike Ron Swanson would say, history did not begin 
on July 16th, 1054. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is the official date of when the split beca- uh, occurred. Yes. So, yeah, but to really to really talk about what you have to talk about everything that led up to that. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like, well, why did they split up? Well, right. You gotta you gotta rewind uh, quite a bit. Yeah. And I put this under the heading of deep background mm-hmm. because you gotta go back. I think all the way to the Council of Nicaea. Mm, yeah, you do. Right. Yep. Which is uh, the year three twenty five. So you're talking oh more than seven hundred years. That was when. Uh, Constantine wrote the Bible, right? Right. Yeah, that was that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, if you're Dan Brown, right, then I guess. Right. Uh, but, you know, actual, you know, factual reasons that yes. we might remember the council. Reality. Of yes. The ones that exist in reality would be uh, Santa Claus punching heretics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by which we mean the Arian controversy. And Correct. Nicholas of Myra may have been there and uh, gotten may a little out of have... it. Physically accosted. Right. Yes, the heretic. heretic. <laughs> yes. Uh, we also remember Council of Nicaea, obviously, for the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that um, in a little bit more depth in just a minute. And But then there were also a number of canons that were adopted by uh, the council that probably get, you know... Well, let's recap the, the, the need for the Nicene oh, Council, sure. right? So right. there was Arius... Who was uh, teaching? I, I seem to remember it, um, that declared that there was a time when Christ was not, when Jesus right. was not. Yeah. Uh, which is a teaching that is still held by certain groups mm-hmm. um, today, the Jehovah's Witnesses, whom we would identify as a cult and not Christian, right? As an organization, because of this specific belief. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's uh, a problem. The church calls a council, convenes in Nicaea, and uh, occurs in the year 325. And there's several weeks' discussions. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot that came out of it. Mm-hmm. It was a very needed council mm-hmm. so that they could make sure that the church was not going astray into false teaching. Right. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, the it other... turns, turns out there was other stuff. Right, yeah. I mean, that big... Uh, Dan Brown style <clears throat> distortion of the Council of Nicaea is that they declared that Jesus was God. Right. No. Like no, they 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 declared that Arius was a heretic right. for denying that Jesus was God. Right. Which is very different. Um, but yeah, that that's like the headline news from the mm-hmm. Council of Nicaea, and it's mm-hmm. obviously extremely important. I can't cannot understate how important that is. Yeah. Um, but like you said, they did deal with some some other things and a number that dealt with kind of church government and the institutional to the extent that there was an institutional structure there was very it was very uh different from what we see today All right well they were somewhat episcopalian at that point right yes so um just to give you a snippets from three of them uh there was the fourth canon that said it is most proper for a bishop to be appointed by all the bishops in his particular province but in every province, the ratification of the ordination should be left to the metropolitan bishop. So, yeah, yeah. very Episcopalian structure there. Right. The um, Canon 6 seems to yeah. kind of echo and double down on that. Uh, right. It says, uh, let the ancient customs in Egypt, Libya, and Pentapolis prevail, that the Bishop of Alexandria has jurisdiction over them all, since a similar arrangement is the custom 
for the Bishop of Rome. Right. Yep. So you see there... Essentially a hierarchy right. exists. Yes. And there are some of these patriarchs or bishops, they weren't called patriarchs at the time, I don't think. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think that so. That had more authority than others. Right. Um, and then the last one is, well, not the last one, but the other one that we'll look at is Canon 7. And it said, since custom and ancient tradition have prevailed that the Bishop of Jerusalem should be honored, let him, after giving due dignity to the Metropolitan, have the next place of honor. So, yeah, definitely a different levels of this hierarchy you see developing. But what you do see emerging is the you know, kind of the five ancient patriarchates, I think is the, is the right word. Um, Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. Mm -hmm. uh, but even in that, that middle one, you can kind of see Rome already being held up as like, this is more important than the others. Right, and I don't for, know how they reach that. Right. But yeah, then what's significant about, well, I already mentioned the Nicene Creed. So that's, you know, another headline news from the council. And it's significant in that the original version of the creed, as kind of laid out at the council, is slightly different in yeah. some respects from the one that might be in your church history textbook or, or your the study one Bible. that you, if you're a Roman Catholic, will recite every mm -hmm. at every mass. Yeah. Um, so for our purposes, the important difference is in the very short statement about belief in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it kind of just says... With respect to the Trinity. Right. Yeah. Because the original version, that's really all that it said. Mm -hmm. We we believe in God the Father, in Jesus Christ. And there's long paragraphs that mm -hmm. go with both of those. But believe it comes in out, the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's all you get in the original version of the Nicene Creed. Which, you know, it, it seems odd to our ears not to say more about the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe, maybe it seems odd. Uh, but then when you consider what the focus of the council was. It was on Christ and his deity. Sure. You can understand how maybe they didn't spend as much time developing a statement on that doctrine at that time. Their pneumatology wasn't that right, yes. heavily emphasized. Right, yeah. So continuing on down the, uh, the path here, the path to 1054, um, we don't get too much farther before we come to another church council. The Council of Constantinople, of which, of which there are many. Um, yeah. <laughs> but this is the, uh, so this is kind of the, well, it is considered the second ecumenical council. In other words, like held up by both East and West. Mm -hmm. um, so there they revise the creed and they do expand the statement about the Holy Spirit. And they would add to say, and we believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. Um, so just expanding a little bit there, talking yeah. about the, the relationship of the Holy Spirit as uh, a person of the Trinity. Um, and uh, that's, they would go forward from there, we be adopted by the churches. Um, but yeah. another, again, another action, you kind of, I think you see two parallel tracks that are, well, I guess they're not parallel, but they're because they're diverging. I'm mixing my mixing my metaphors here. Uh, two uh, two plot lines, right? That sees the east and the west diverge. And one is this con this doctrinal controversy. The other is like the more political papal supremacy. Yes. Yeah. That issue. is the part that to me is always so frustrating. Yeah. But 
whatever. Yeah. Um, so again, there's another uh, there's another canon of this council, Council of Constantinople 381, that's uh, significant. The third canon says that the Bishop of Constantinople, however, shall have the prerogative of honor after the Bishop of Rome, because Constantinople is New Rome. Now you read that and it looks like, well, Rome's asserting themselves. Actually, it was meant to be as an elevation of Constantinople, which was newer than, mm-hmm. you know, Antioch or Alexandria. Those went back to the very beginning. Constantinople was relatively new. It was only within the past couple, you know, few decades that um, the capital um, that had become a major city and a major center for the church. But the line also, you can see how it would become significant because it kind of gives a special place to Rome, even if, you know, just by implication. Right. Yeah. Now we jump ahead a little bit more to the ninth century, so the 800s, and we have more councils of Constantinople. Uh, in fact, between from about eight, 860 to 880, there would be no fewer than five of them. Nice. Um, now, why is that happening? Of course, the Roman Empire by this, or the Western Roman Empire by this time is long gone. Yeah. Um, they were gone and you know, by the end of the 5th century. Uh, But the Eastern Roman Empire, or the Byzantine Empire, remains. So what happened around... Because they're better. Well, obviously. (laughs) They they are still there. What happens around uh, 858 is the Byzantine Emperor, he's Emperor Michael III, also known as Michael the Drunkard, Michael Scott. (laughs) For for obvious reasons. So, well, yeah. So it's interesting. Here's here's the um, the same problem as before with uh, with Pius. No, yeah, no. Hold on. <laughs> Innocent. Innocent. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. I was like Leo. No, Pius. No. <laughs> so many of the guys. Ah, I picked all the um, same names. Yeah. Not helpful. Uh, Pope Innocent the Third, right? With the whole investiture mm, controversy mm-hmm. yeah. who who is the one that has the ultimate authority is it the bishop or is it the emperor right and this emperor michael the drunkard mike got a little too <laughs> happy on the sauce yes and said you know what i'm going to put this guy in as patriarch instead yes so he kicks ignatius out he puts photius in and uh, this is, I think we actually talked about this briefly mm-hmm. on a previous episode because Photius is the one who, when the emperor decided to put him in as the patriarch, he was a layman. Like he was not even ordained. Wow. So he went through all five steps on that chain in five days. Like mm-hmm. you are now a deacon, you are now a, you know, whatever, you are now a priest, you right. are now this, um, one, one after the other so that he could finally be elevated to, to the patriarch. Well, this didn't, this decision didn't sit well with uh, Rome. Uh, so the Pope, you know, jumps in the fray and says, nope, that doesn't count. Your decision is nullified. And I believe at that point he also excommunicated uh, Michael Fodi- III. Oh, the emperor. Let me double check. Say, there were a lot of excommunications flying back and forth, so it's hard to because keep track. Because that's, uh, that's the MO, right? Right. Can't defeat your, your opponent. Through logical argumentation, you <laughs> kick him out the party. Yes. So he did. He did excommunicate Photius. Um, Photius or the emperor? You said the drunkard. Uh, 
Yeah, I said the emperor. I think it okay. was, in fact, just Photius. Okay. So, so the pope excommunicates the patriarch of Constantinople. Right. And then, which he's essentially ass- asserting himself as higher than hierarchy right. in the hierarchy. Yeah. Over the bishop of Constantinople. Right. Um, well, of course, the emperor just ignores that. Like, no, no, you can't do that. It doesn't count. I'm not going to pay attention to that. And this leads to, a few years later, uh, another, council. again, a council, 867, called by Photius, still acting in capacity as the patriarch of Constantinople to address this issue, to, to kind of answer the question, can the pope actually exercise any authority over this situation? And the council decided, surprise, surprise, no. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Um, while they were at it, so well, not while they were at it, but they also took the opportunity to come back to this filioque. Yeah, dispute. a discussion about what the Roman Church had begun using. Right. Um, so maybe we should talk the about Nicene that. Creed. Should we talk about that? Well, I mean, it's it kind of fits in here, and it's it's very important. So yeah. we should probably talk about it here. The, well, I mean, you could just s- briefly summarize, like, what is the what is the filioque? Oqui uh, dispute. Well, it was. It had to do with a specific part in the Nicene Creed concerning the the Holy Spirit, where it says, "We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life, who proceeds from the Father." And the Roman Church added, "And the Son." Right. And which in Latin is filioque. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Eastern Church was not in agreement. Right. With that. Yeah. That's the that's the the. That's the, the short. The short version. Yeah. Yeah. So that was also taken up at this uh, Council of Constantinople in, in 867. 867. Yeah. Right. So, of course, the Pope, um, and I believe it was Nicholas I, responds by calling another Council of Constantinople in 869. And he said everything that that Council of 867 <laughs> had done is reversed. So we're kind of going, I mean, they're going back and forth. And uh, there would be yet another one. Objection. Right. <laughs> Council's entire o- opening statement is argument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything that guy just said is nonsense. Yes, yeah, we know. <laughs> um, so this leads to, you know, 10 years later, they're back at it again. There's another cons- Council of Constantinople called by the East, and they once more confirm the position of Photius, both as the rightful patriarch uh-huh. and on the filioque. So hold on, time out. Let's... Let's discuss this for a moment. Within the the Bible's sphere, spheres of authorities, that is is discussed. We as Baptists would say, this is a non-starter. This is not even an issue. Mm-hmm. The the local bishop or elder is the one that has authority over his specific right flock, and we believe that's what the Bible teaches, and so that's you know no issue for us. However, within an Episcopalian structure where there's a hierarchy of bishops then essentially what you have here is rebellion right i mean there's no really other way to 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 classify this yeah other than to say if you believe in a in an episcopalian model that you're going to follow and institute for your churches or your congregations rather then if you don't follow it then you're in rebellion Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure how they other than to say, well, the Pope is wrong, or Rome is wrong, mm-hmm. and we are right. Yeah. Which essentially is where it gets to. Right. Yep. Uh, so that um, 
takes us to the eleventh century. Yeah, it was kind of left. I mean, it was it was not. It was I wouldn't say it was unresolved, but it was definitely not resolved either. Um, right, it wasn't official. It was kind of like a we were on a break. Yeah. Well, part of it is again in the in the background and sometimes in the foreground is all the political stuff. Yeah. So the main reason that Photius was in there to begin with had to do with the emperor. Right. Who when he deposed di- the patriarch. Right. So when that emperor dies and he's no longer in power and now no longer, you know, backing up Photius with the army mm-hmm. if need be, then that changes the situation and um you know, that can throw a monkey wrench in things too. But yeah, onward to the 11th century. The, the And there are more theological differences between the East and the West than just the Filioque controversy. I mean, it's an interesting topic, but more than we can get into here. But just know that like this is, well, this seems like a silly, th- It's well, it's not a silly thing. It's significant. Right, because it, to them, as it is, we've said this before, in in Anytime there's a disagreement with a theological position, it's because there are theological implications mm-hmm. that come from each position. Right. Which is one of the reasons why you never want to try to use an analogy for the, for right. the Trinity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because you'll just end up in some kind of heresy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so for, for this specific controversy, there was, to the Eastern Church, there was an implication that was, I don't know, I kind of want to say... Social Trinitarianism, mm-hmm. almost, as in there is a sort of hierarchical, hierarchical structure within the Trinity, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, this is, and I think that's right. And the the Trinity, it's the doctrine of the Trinity, is one of the one of their big differences between. Yeah. I mean, they they affirm sure a doctrine of the Trinity, but there's <laughs> significant differences between that and the Church in the West, right? This is uh. Nick Needham. Nick Needham, Volume 2. And he says that Photius accused the West, so this is Photius, again, the Patriarch of Constantinople, accused the West of destroying the unity of the Trinity by its teaching that the Spirit proceeds from the Son as well as from the Father. In Eastern thought, the Father is the unique source or fountain of the divine nature. The Son and the Spirit are God because they possess all the fullness of God, the Father's essence and attributes, all except his actual fatherhood. The Son by eternal generation, the Spirit by eternal procession. So when Eastern believers heard Western theologians saying that the Spirit proceeds from the Son as well as from the Father, the East felt that Westerners were making the Son into another source of the divine nature. But if there were two sources of God's nature, the unity of God was destroyed. Father and Son became two separate gods. Mm. Now we can we can hear that and say I don't think that's quite right. Right. Uh, but it's not obvious. Well, obviously, it was not obvious <laughs> <right>. to them <laughs> that it was. It, it takes some teasing out, I think, to say why it, why would we not say it the way that they said it? Yeah. It, it. It honestly, it kind of in my mind, it makes it a little more clear why. This has become such a hot topic mm-hmm. as of late because of the whole classical view of mm. God mm-hmm. versus a, a modern view, which is actually, you find out, if you were to go back and find out, oh, this is just the Eastern mm-hmm. idea of the, you know, the divine right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Godhead. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, maybe they got everything else right then. 
Right. So it, that's what I think tends to lead, lead, lead people down this path where they're they're kind of confronted and say, well, if, if I was wrong about this, but these people got it right, maybe I'm wrong about all these other things. And uh, who is it? Michael Foster, who I think is generally speaking, ha- has some sage advice on this in that you want to be slow in changing your doctrine, your yes. doctrinal beliefs. Yes. Right? So I think if you are finding yourself wrestling with you, the classical view of um, God as opposed to a more social Trinitarian view or even an Eastern Orthodox view of God, then slow down. Mm-hmm. Don't make any rash decisions. Uh, Talk to your pastors. Speak to your pastors. Yeah. And and just uh, take it slow, all yeah. right? You yeah. don't have to... You're not going to find all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. On this side of heaven. So right. take your time, study, and you know what? Yeah, just go talk to your pastor and stop following celebrities online. Right. Including, well, Us. we're not celebrities. No, but so. yeah, talking voices <laughs> through your earphones. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We just need to make like a button. We need a we need a soundboard that right. has that on there. <laughs> talk to your pastors. Mm-hmm. So Claus which state that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. It's easy to see how someone could consider that to be a very significant change in the meaning of the creed. Um, but to the Roman Catholic Church, it was a matter of, <laughs> and again, it goes back to this, mm. philosophy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, if the Son is sent by the Father and the Son says he's going to send... Right. The Holy Spirit, it makes sense that right. the Father, it, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Right. Yeah. Logically. Right. Um, but if you're one of those persons who doesn't like to engage philosophy, you'll say no. Right. You can't, you can't say yeah, it that yeah. way. So. There, and, and this is a, I mean, this is a con- almost a, not a constant theme, but a regular theme, especially with any doctrine where there's an element of mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Our human brain, we want a syllogism. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> a and, and B, therefore C. But right. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that, that way, especially when you're talking about the Trinity, because yeah. it's just something that we cannot wrap our brains around. Right. And you have to accept that there is an element of mystery and uh, we're granted faith to believe, even though... Our understanding is not what we, you know, what we think we would like it to be. Right. And I think there's also a very important, a very important thing for us to understand when it comes to knowledge. Right. So we have the, your brain, right. It's in our nature. Mm -hmm. We want to fill in the gaps. Oh yeah. So you can do tricks with your eyes where your brain will literally fill in the blanks Mm -hmm. without you even doing anything. So we have to really, really be careful that we aren't trying to fill in the gaps um, and say something about God that he hasn't said about yeah. himself. And and be okay with not having all of the answers. Right. Because, I mean, it doesn't matter what worldview you have. Nobody has every single answer mm-hmm. except God. Right. And so as Christians, we ought to be more humble in recognizing that we don't have to answer all of the world's questions. Mm-hmm. We don't have to, uh, we can, we're allowed to, we should embrace the mystery where it is, mm-hmm. but we also don't have to make anything else up. Right. Yeah. And I, it's hard to not do that. Oh yeah. 
Well, I mean, I was just thinking about this, and I, I owe this insight to the guys from um, the Just Thinking podcast, yeah. uh, Daryl and Virgil, because so many, and I haven't listened to them in a while, but I was a regular listener for for a while, and um, it seemed like on almost every episode, when they would open the book and go to scripture, mm-hmm. well, let's go back to Genesis. Yes, and every single time they were right, and it seems like this is. This is almost like the original temptation, right? Yeah. Because it is, what was the tree? Mm. The tree of the knowledge of mm-hmm. good and evil. So mm-hmm. um, there was more that came with that. And ultimately, it was about obedience to God's command. That's right. But it was specifically, eat this and your eyes will be open and you will know things that you don't know right mm. now. So mm. I guess there's, well, I mean, it's true because in the Bible, there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. And uh, how how much better off would we be if we would, you know, obey that original command and not desire to look into things where, you know, yeah. God has not given us knowledge there. Right. Yeah, and it's uh it's a good it's a good thing for us to accept that humility. I think we've had a sermon series recently which our pastor talked about that. Uh, that humility is um, recognizing who is properly lifted up mm. and it's, it should never be us. It should always be Christ and, yes. and God. And so it's, it's, it's okay to not know. It's okay to live in mystery. It's okay to uh, be able to, it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. But what do you know? Right. Well, I know that God is a, is, is a forgiving God. I know that he has sent this, his son, his only begotten son. I know everything that scripture has told me is true mm-hmm. and I know he's coming again. Yeah. So, Rest on that. Exactly. Like yeah. you said in Genesis, right? Believe what the God, what God has said. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you'll be good. Yep. I did think it was interesting that, and Nick Needham acknowledges this in, in his book, it's not exactly clear where and how that clause first was inserted. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's some suggestions it may have been um, some churches in what's now Spain, some Iberian you know churches. Hmm. Maybe it was a Mandela effect. <laughs> a medieval just, Mandela effect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's no. always been there. What are you guys talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe as early as the sixth century, could be much later, but definitely by the you know by the early parts of the eleventh century, it's widespread yeah. in the in the liturgy of the Latin churches, the Western churches, and, but not in the Eastern churches. Like, uh, they were, you know, on record fairly early saying, no, this is, we're not doing that. Um, you can't add. And in fact, it was the fourth council of Constantinople, that being the Eastern Orthodox one, not the Roman Catholic one, that they read the Nicene Creed and they read it without the clause, Mm. the added clause. Um, it's not really a clause, it's just a word. And, they specifically said, and if you add anything to the creeds of the church, that is heretical. Mm. So it's kind of like, there was like a, a subtweet, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not saying who's doing that, <laughs> but if you're adding it's, words it's to the, the creed. original, I don't know who needs to hear this, <laughs> but anybody who's doing that, you're a heretic. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So obviously this was, this was a bridge too far uh, for the Western churches Again, once again, politics become involved. So yeah. we talked about um, one of these, well, the time period around one of these popes, 
um, in the last episode, we were talking about um, Henry Henry the Second, the Holy Roman Emperor, and he dies his infant right. son. Right, right, right. Um, so that would be Henry the Third. So we're talking the 1030s to the 1050s, um, and there was war going on, especially in Italy. So Rome and Constantinople, the you know Holy Roman Empire, and the Pope and the Byzantine Empire were kind of working together to make sure they didn't get overrun by the Normans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of in the background here. So it's kind of like a, a very tenuous piece. Like well, we got to work this, we got to work together, guys, or we're just going to be wiped off the map. But eventually, it just became. Uh, too much, and you know Constantinople is not willing to acknowledge the um, superiority or the superior authority that Rome presumed to have. So, it comes to a head around 1052. The patriarch of Constantinople is a guy by the name of Michael Carularius, and he would be in there from 1043 to 1058. And he just refused to say, "No, we're not. We don't acknowledge Rome as." superior to us right um and it you know it just got worse to the point where in 1052 is the year that he closed down all the latin churches in constantinople Mm. Uh, a year later he and another bishop addressed a letter to you know well the pope but basically like an open letter in which they kind of laid out all the details like this is this is all the ways that you guys are wrong (laughs) i mean and they were they have you know significant differences uh they well they I mean the church calendar is different so we kind of think of you know at least here in America Easter well that's the day of Easter right well not except for, that that's an open yeah. question like if you look at uh, it and a lot of calendars now will have both of them right and they'll say Eastern Orthodox Easter um, and we kind of look at that as like well that's kind of a silly thing why can't we just figure out where it is on the calendar but. Again, read up on that. It's beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But there's there's something to it. It's yeah. not just like uh, petty squabbling. Right. Yeah. And uh, the Ethiopian church, they have a different uh, Christmas and a different Easter. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, obviously, the Pope I think they're in a different year. Yes. I think you're right about that, too. It's like 2013 or something like that. Maybe they're 10 years back or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it is something like that. You're right. So... Obviously, the the Pope was not going to take that lying down. No, of course not. Um, so he sends a guy. He's a, a cardinal. His name is Humbert of Silva Candida and sends him with a letter uh, to Constantinople. Hey, go over there and talk to Patriarch Mark Michael, and we need to work this out. Like, yeah. this cannot continue. Well, in the meantime, this Pope, Leo IX, dies. Oops. While they were there, um, the papal delegation to discuss this. Yeah. And, um, you know, that they, they, nobody would budge. Yeah. So on July 16th, and I noticed this today when I was looking up this week in church history, that uh, uh, Bullinger's birthday was on the 18th of July, and it was the 16th of July that, uh, you know, uh, Humbert, Cardinal Humbert and the other guys march into the Hagia Sophia, which is the big church there in uh, Constantinople right before divine liturgy. So basically they're getting ready to start church (laughs) and they plop this letter down on the altar. Was it on the altar? It was something like that. It was right in the, it was obviously wherever was the most provocative place. I think it was the altar. They put this letter there. And of course in the letter it's, you know, 
excommunicating everybody, basically. Not just the patriarch, but all of you, mm-hmm. all of your followers too. So it's like not just not just Michael, the whole Eastern Church. You're and all the out. horse you rode in on. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean that that kind of was how it was. Yeah. And of course, the response by Michael is to do the drunkard. No, not the drunkard, no, Michael the, the drunkard. Patriarch, not Patriarch. Mi- okay. Mi- not Michael the Emperor. Oh, right, right, right. Um, so you would expect them to kind of to Michael Carolarius, excuse ah, me. Right. Um, you'd expect them to respond in kind. Yeah. But again, this is Nick Needham. He says, interestingly, um, he did not excommunicate the Pope or Westerners in general. So he did anathematize Humbert and mm-hmm. the other papal ambassadors, but he didn't go so far as to... Uh, kick the entire Western Church, mm. excommunicate them. So, I mean, you can uh, probably go back and forth a little bit about, well, what does it mean by anathematize? And uh, that can get, I guess that can probably get, uh, that can probably get technical. Yeah. Uh, but it's not exactly the same response. So I don't know if that really has any, um, what exactly all the downstream effects of that were because here we are you know almost a thousand years later and i mean there have been overtures back and forth and and several i think within the last century or so Mm -hmm. but mm, it doesn't seem to me like they're really any closer to coming back together yeah well i mean that's i think i think that is true um but there have been those that have commented otherwise. There's mm-hmm. uh, one fellow named uh, Bishop Callistos Ware, mm-hmm. formerly known as Timothy, Timothy Ware, but Timothy was his slave name, so he had to change it to right. Callistos, <laughs> uh, who once adamantly opposed uh, the filioque doctrine. And he said, quote, The filioque controversy, which has separated us for so many centuries, is more than a mere technicality. But it is not insoluble. Hmm. Qualifying the firm position taken when I wrote the Orthodox Church 20 years ago, I now believe, after further study, that the problem is more in the area of semantics and different emphases than in any basic doctrinal differences. Hmm. End quote. So he thinks it's... Well, he said he, he would make an exception. Or what hmm. does he say? He, uh, he would qualify his position, the firm position of saying that this clause is absolutely you know, wrong. Right. Now he's saying, well, I still hold that it is wrong, but it may just be semantics. Hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that's kind of like the, um, oh, the Ethiopian church and the, the monophysites. Yes. Physites, whatever they call them. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, well, they, yeah, we they, 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 they will say that. Yes. Meophysite. Meophysite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they will agree and confirm and, and confess that Christ is truly God and truly man, mm-hmm. but they will not say that Christ is has a human nature and a divine nature. Right. Because to them that is that is yeah. that's a no go. Right. So that's that's kind of the extreme minority. Well, I don't know if there's a lot of monophysite uh, churches left. Ethiop- Ethiopian Orthodox and right. the well, because there's three positions. So there's diophysitism, which is dual nature of Christ, sure. a human nature and a 
divine nature. There's monophysite, which says, no, it's just one. And then, there, then there's the miophysites, which say something. Well, we're not saying it's two, but we're not saying it's just one. Right. Like, well, what is it then? Right. <laughs> it, and we talked about that a little bit, I think, when we talked about Chalcedon. Uh, yeah. Because that was that was a that was a major split. Yeah, where the non-Chalcedonian churches left. Yep. So that's where you get your Eastern, Ethiopian Orthodox right. Church. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they're the ones that are in ten years behind us. Right. Yes, they're living in the past, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, this whole thing. You know, when you you start to you can start to question everything hmm. if you're not careful. Yeah, and. With AI the way it is, hmm. with all these UFO stuff, with all the the lady on the airplane saying oh, yeah. she saw a shapeshifter, <laughs> and, and I've seen other videos that are supposedly like unaltered videos where there's something, something not human mm-hmm. happening with a human, and it seems really, really odd. So I think... It's, it's important that whenever we come across things that make us question what it is that we know, uh, it's always good to, to just stand firmly on mm-hmm. on Christ. Yeah. You know, everything else, let, let God be true and every man a liar. Yeah. Just, just run to Christ, run to God, stay in your Bible, communicate, dedicate yourself to life in your local church. Yes. And don't get caught up in the FOMO. Thinking that you're missing out on something. Right. You are. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) God has put you exactly where you are for a purpose. So just relax and trust in God. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah. Good deal. Uh, Well, like I said, I mean, this is a big topic and there's there's more that can be said and plenty more that can be read about it. So um, hopefully this is at least a good starting point for you. Um, as always, we would love to hear from you, the listeners. So uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can leave us a, a review of the podcast. And, yeah. you know, even if it's a one-star review, go ahead and do that because, you know, that lets us know, like... Okay, uh, what can we work on? Yeah, what can we can work we on? better? Yeah. Did we find a niche? I think we did. We have yeah. at least one one-star review out there. So it tells us that we're not for everybody. But <laughs> you try to be for everybody, you will... Not please anybody. So yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we'd love to see reviews. They help keep people. Uh, well, suggest so the algorithms like su- will suggest podcasts to people, and we must have gotten suggested to a, a bunch of people in Botswana recently. Nice. Or, or people are using VPNs. Or yeah, we always like to. <laughs> or people are using the VPNs. Uh, but uh, I mean, we were hanging around like in the top two hundred Christianity podcasts in that one. So that's unusual. Huh. To stay there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So that might actually be real people. So cool. <laughs> hello to you real flesh and blood listeners yeah. in Botswana. Where is Botswana? It's Where, in Africa. In, well, I mean, oh, in relation to... Southern Africa. Okay. So... Places uh, that I know. Yes. So, <laughs> so it's south of Seychelles then. Yeah. yeah. So just, I think, it, I think it borders South Africa on the south. Zimbabwe... And North Zambia east. on the east. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's down in that region. Okay. It is a landlocked country, I was reminded. Mm. But, I mean, that's, it's always, uh, the only reason I mentioned that is it's always encouraging to me to see, um, you know, that there's potentially, like, people on the other side of the world yeah. listening to that, listening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we are, well, we must, somebody must think we're, we're worth the time and we'll just continue to pray that we will... Uh, live up to that 
expectation for God's glory. Yeah, absolutely. We do appreciate any of you guys that do listen regularly, and uh, even those occasional listeners. Uh, we hope that hope we increase your hunger for learning more about the faith, mm-hmm. learning more about Scripture, and learning more about God, and studying uh, history. Because it's a wonderful and fascinating mm-hmm. uh, thing. As we said a long time ago, it's his story. It's yeah. God's story. And it's revealing. I mean, depending on your doctrine of predestination, mm-hmm. which we know is a fun topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right? We, we, I would confess that all that, all that God ordains is good. Mm-hmm. And we know that whatever comes to pass is that which God has ordained. Right. And it's not to say that... Tragedies don't happen and mm-hmm. difficult stuff happens. Right. It means we should study church history. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right. What are we talking about next week? <laughs> good question. Well, we will have a book review coming up for you. Yes. Um, so I stay... need at least two weeks. I'm still behind. Yeah. Ruben has so many. He has so much on his plate. <laughs> I can't blame him. <laughs> I just poorly manage my time. I'm <laughs> trying to help you out, but all right. All right. <laughs> That's all for today. We'll God talk to you next time. Everybody.